Welcome to the Alpha Male Coach Podcast, the only podcast that teaches men the cognitive mastery and alpha mindset that it takes to become an influential and irresistible man of confidence. Here's your host, certified life coach and international man of mystery, Kevin Ayo. What's up, my brothers? Welcome back to the Alpha Male Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Ayo. And okay, so I know I have three, three episodes hanging. They're just hanging out there in part ones. Part ones are hanging out there in the interwebs, in the podcast spaces that are awaiting their part two continuations or conclusions. And I'm going to deliver those. <laughs> I'm going to bring those to you guys in the near future because ironically, and again, not surprisingly, because I don't believe in coincidences, as you all know, but ironically, they do, all three of these episodes do, in fact, unfold quite nicely from each other. There's a nice little movement of information, a nice little movement of teaching, again, which is something that I did not intend, so it was clearly divinely planned. And so following this episode, you're going to expect to hear Stop Trying, Start Trusting Part 2, and where I want to get into the how, right? I want to talk to you guys about what that, because on the first part, it was all about what that looks like, and that was last week. But I want to talk to you guys about how you do that. How do you start trusting? How do you bring things to you through energy, through consciousness, rather than going out through action and matter and movement. Then we're going to do consciousness expansion part two, because really it's about explaining in more depth what is this phenomenon. And I think phenomenon may be the best word that we experience as consciousness. What is this thing? And I'm going to talk a little bit about that today because of what the famous double slit experiment kind of points to in terms of the observer effect. So we're going to talk a little bit about consciousness today, but then we're going to have that part two of consciousness expansion. And finally, we're going to top it all off with celebration part two. I did celebration months ago, brothers part one, and we're going to do part two coming up at the end of this month or early in August. Now, all of these second part episodes, again, they follow from the most fundamental source of reality that we as humans, I mean, we in the collective, we humanity has currently identified, been able to measure both mathematically and empirically. And that fundamental source is the unified field, right? It's the unified field, depending on what community you're in. <laughs> there are so many names for this thing that it really all depends on who you're hanging out with. Who are you hanging out with? Because it's called the unified field. It's called the sea of light. It's called the Akashic Records. It's called the neutrino field. It's called the Higgs field. It's called the super string unified field. There are so many names for this thing. If you're a physicist, then that's why we call it the unified field, right? Because we're talking about quantum physics. And because I'm going to be talking about quantum physics today with the double slit experiment, I'm calling it the unified field or the super string unified field. And it is an infinite wave of potential and possibility through which we experience, we humans experience less than 1% of and we consider in our very small and limited perspective to be real, right? And you guys know this with the way our eyes work, with the way our ears work. I mean, imagine the limited spectrum of frequency that our eyes are able to pick up as it reflects light. As it reflects light, our eyes are able to pick up a very short bandwidth of information. Because everything slower or faster of infrared or ultraviolet, we just don't see. It's just, we, we can't see it, right? Because the wave is too fast. And the same with the sound. There's certain decibels, there's certain wavelengths of sound that we as humans just don't pick up. And of course, there's all the extra sensory things that we do not even 
connect to because maybe we don't believe it's possible. Although, of course, being in one sea, one field of consciousness, anything is possible. And I've talked about these fields many times in many different ways. You know, I've talked about them from the scientific perspective, from the spiritual perspective, from the quantum physics perspective, from the cellular biology perspective. And the truth is, I could explain it in a million different ways and it would still never be fully known because the mind itself is limited by what it knows. The mind cannot grasp the unknown. The mind only remembers. The mind only takes in the data, constructs it into form and based on the mirror of memory, and then sends an output function, sends, it sends an action. Do this in response. But the mind cannot understand infinity. It cannot understand wholeness because both infinity and wholeness is unknown to the mind. Neither of these are known. Only finite things, only separation is known to the mind. So today, I want to explain this as best I can, <laughs> this famous and fundamental, this wacky and wild experiment, this, this groundbreaking and probably the granddaddy of all quantum experiments that's ever been conducted to show two things. Really, it shows both the wave-particle duality of matter and it shows the power and universality of consciousness through observation. And by the end of this episode, brothers, if your mind isn't fully blown and you are not fully converted into the quantum realm of infinite potential and endless possibility, then it's clear that you probably still don't quite get it. And I will continue to teach this theory in other ways. Don't worry, brother. If you still don't get it, I will not leave you behind. It just won't happen. And when you do get it, well, that's the red pill. When you get it, there's no simply no going back. There's no going back to density and illusion in matter and form. So here it is, brothers. Quantum weirdness, the wildness, the infamous, the notorious double-slit experiment explained. Now, I'm going to get into the experiment in a moment, but first I want you to understand a little bit about the way, the way particles work and the way waves work, because this is going to help you understand the madness, right? The complete, why, why the scientists were so completely baffled by the results of this experiment. So the way a particle works is that it maintains its shape, right? Like a particle is a bit of matter. We'll call it like a marble or a tennis ball, a little rock, right? A pebble. And that's a particle. A wave is like literally a wave that we see on the ocean, right? So it's a wave. Its energy is spread. Its position is in many, it's kind of in a superposition. You, to point it at a wave and say it is there would be a difficult thing to do because it's actually in many places. The wave is a continuality. Right? It's, it's, it's continuous, required to be in many parts simultaneously in order to have the totality of what we know as a wave. The wave has no particle. To take any part of the wave and say this is the wave would basically say this is a particle, this is a, this is a drop of water. The wave itself requires many, many drops of water, it requires the totality of it. And they behave differently, that's the thing. So if you take a barricade, if you take a machine and you shoot matter, you shoot particles, at a backstop and you shoot it through a barrier that has one slit, one vertical slit on it, then you will get a certain pattern on that barricade behind the slit. Right? Now you're gonna have to visualize this because until I break into YouTube, <laughs> which is gonna be this year, brothers, I'm gonna break into the YouTube space this year because there are, this is some visual things I want you to see. So I want you to be able to visualize this. Imagine you have like a tennis ball gun, right? One of those things that you're shooting tennis balls across the net to play tennis by yourself with, right? To return serves or whatever, to return volleys. And you're shooting it, but you're shooting it at a barricade that has a vertical slit down the center. And on the backstop, wherever the 
tennis ball hits will leave an impression. Right? It'll leave an impression on the other side. So sometimes it's going to hit the barrier itself. It's not going to pass through the slit. Other times it's going to go through the slit. And every time it does, it's going to hit the wall behind it and create a certain pattern. Right? And this is what we're looking at. We're looking at the pattern. Now, with a single slit, as you can probably imagine, if we're shooting tennis balls or marbles through it, and we do this multiple times, or just shooting and just ramming them down there, then you're going to see a pattern that kind of resembles the slit itself, right? Because anything that's blocked by the slit, by the barricade, is not going to go through, but anything that does go through is just going to travel in its original and consistent trajectory right onto the back of the wall, and it's going to hit it and make that mark. So you're going to see what resembles a pattern of a slit, right? That vertical slit. Now... If we put two slits, so now there's two vertical slits, one right next to each other, maybe three, four inches apart, right, if we're shooting marbles, let's say they're close to each other, and we start sending these marbles or these tennis balls down there, then the pattern, as you could probably predict, would look like two slits on the back of the, on the, back of the backstop. And this is important to know that, of course, that if you're shooting matter, if you're shooting particles, then they maintain a certain trajectory. That trajectory passes through the slit, hits the back, and we can see it, or it hits the barricade itself and it gets blocked. So it's almost like it's casting a shadow, right? It's almost like it's casting the shadow where we can see where these, these marbles are hitting based on, their, based on them moving through the slit, right? Just the same way light would. Now, waves are different. If we push a wave through a single slit, right? then the energy that's moving through that wave would be diffused as it bumps up against the backstop, the barricade, right? So as it bumps up against the backstop behind the slit, which would create a pattern where right behind the slit, where the crest of the wave, where the most intense energy of the wave is, that's where we'd see the darkest pattern. That's where the darkest, where the most intensity of the energy will be penetrating or hitting the, the backstop. And then we would see like a diffusion. We would start to see that, that coloring or that lighting kind of fade. It would fade into the backstop, which if we pulled it out into third dimensional space, it may look a bit like a bell curve, right? In fact, it would look a lot like the wave itself. It would look like the crest of the wave if we pulled it out because that's what's happening. The wave is sending out from that slit and then hitting the backstop with different energy as the wave diffuses. The same way an ocean wave crashes along the shoreline where it hits the crest of the wave is going to be the most powerful and then it will diffuse off to the sides. Now, if there were two slits, things get a little bit even more wacky because you really have to understand how waves work. When you have two slits and you push a wave through the two slits, then as the energy moves through each slit, it creates a new wave of energy at both of those positions. When those two waves begin to move forward and collide with each other, as the top of one wave hits the bottom of the other wave, it creates an interference pattern. And as the top of one wave hits the top of the other wave, it creates an amplification pattern. So what we end up seeing on the backstop is something of an interference pattern where right in the center, right between where the two slits are, we would see the most intense, right? Very similar to if there were only one slit. Consider that. That's wild, right? Because if there were one slit, it's moving from there and it's hitting directly behind on the back stuff. If there's two slits, those two waves begin to interfere with each other, creating a giant wave radiating out somewhat like a ripple after dropping a pebble in a pond. It radiates outward and this giant crest then hits right in the center. But then what we see on either side, rather than a diffusing pattern where there was one slit, where there's two slits, we see blackness. We see an interference. 
So there's nothing. There's no energy striking the backstop in that place. But then there's more energy striking. So it looks kind of like these lines. These lines start to form. And as they form, they get less and less energy as you move outward. So there's still a diffusion pattern, but it looks like interference. Rather than one diffusion, there are breaks in it. It looks like a little bit like code, <laughs> right? You've got these, these, these lines and spaces, lines and spaces, lines and spaces. And that's what the double slit pattern looks like when you push a wave through. So those are the four potentials, right? That's what I want you, you guys to understand, is that we have four potentials here. We have one potential pattern based on a particle moving through one slit. We have another potential pattern of a particle moving through two slits. We have a third potential pattern where we have a wave moving through one slit. And we have a fourth pattern where we have a wave moving through two slits. Now, now that you know what these patterns look like based on what is moving through what, <laughs> a particle or a wave moving through one slit or two slits, let's get on to the experiment. What the scientists did was they set up a machine to shoot electrons, infinitesimal bits of information, infinitesimal bits of matter, through a single slit. They started with a single vertical slit and then measure where those electrons are striking on a backstop. And they were using a particle accelerator, which again, don't worry about the machine itself. Just imagine, just like a tennis ball machine, they're shooting these electrons, these little bits of matter that they know are bits of matter, that they're measurable, observable. Like we see them, they see them and they're shooting them and they put them in this thing and they're shooting them down through one slit. And when they do this, they get a pattern on the backstop that would appear as though the electrons are acting like particles, not like waves, right? And this is pretty standard. We're like, okay, sure. Like we expected this and the expectation, that expectation is important. <laughs> to know that the scientists had an expectation of this is important to notice because when there's only one slit, that expectation is kind of put into the experiment itself. And so the, they act like particles because there's one slit to move through, so there's one possibility, there's one potential, right? Now hold on a second, because this is what's wild. We see that they act like matter. If we see that they act like particles with one slit. Now the scientists added a second slit, and this is the double slit. This is where the two identical slits are placed on a barricade between the machine and the backstop, and they're, you know, they have a certain distance from each other, and they, sh again, they begin to shoot these electrons. And they know that as these electrons are shooting, they're shooting them as matter. Because again, in the machine, in the particle accelerator, they're actually accelerating particles. <laughs> they know that they're accelerating particles. So they begin as matter. And what's wild is when they put the double slit, when they put the two slits up there, the pattern on the backstop showed up as an interference pattern from the wave function. Now this is wild, right? What you would expect to see, or what they expected to see, right, was that there would be like a shadow being cast, right? Like two vertical lines directly behind each of the slits because that's what, it would, that's what the pattern would be if you were shooting particle, if you were shooting matter, if we were shooting marbles or tennis balls. But when you get to that electron, that quantum realm, those infinitesimal bits of information, they start to behave differently. They start to behave like waves when there's potential. This is interesting because when there's no potential, when there's no possibility, when there's one slit, the electron's like, okay, I'm a particle. I have one option. I'm going through this thing. But when there's two slits, the particle, the electron, actually disappears. It disappears. It splits, becomes a wave, becomes a wave of possibility, a wave of potential. It creates a superposition and acts like a wave all the way through its trajectory onto the backstop. Now, that's crazy. 
<laughs> right? That's crazy. And of course, of course, the scientists know that it's crazy. They're trying to figure out what's going on here. And so what do they do? They're scientists, right? So they want to prove this thing. They go to the, the language of mathematics and they start to do the math on this stuff. And they're like, okay, so what is going on? Let's do the math. Let's look at the quantum math here. Let's see if we can figure out mathematically what's happening to this electron, this little bit of information. And what they find blows their mind, blows their mind in a way that they still, still quantum physics is a mystery. <laughs> in many, many ways, it's a mystery. I'm not even going to get into entanglement theory with you guys, other than to say it really is the proof of oneness, right? It proves that we're all really one. But here's what they did. They tried to do the math. And what the math showed was that all four options were happening at the same time, that the particle, as a particle, as a particle, now here's the thing, brothers, as a particle, all four were happening at the same time. As a particle, the electron was hitting the backstop, it was going through the right slit, it was going through the left slit, and it was going through both slits at the same time. That's what the math showed. So the math showed basically totality. It showed possibility itself. It showed that Anything was possible. And that freaked out the scientists because, again, to our minds and to science itself, to mathematics, there has to be a solution. A possibility is not a solution. A possibility keeps the solution endless. Possibilities are endless solutions. Possibility are endless opportunity, endless options. So, to, again, to scientists, they're like, this is, not, this is not okay. But what the math proved was possibility. It proved potential. Limitless potential. So then they decide, okay, so the math is not giving us what we want. It's not giving us a solution. What are we going to do? Let's watch this thing. Let's set up a recording device so that from the moment this particle, from the moment this electron leaves the machine, the shooter, right, the particle accelerator, until it hits the backstop in this wave function, they wanted to see it. They wanted to see it change from particle to wave. They wanted to see it. When does this happen? When does this phenomena occur? When does this bit of information, when does this thing I mean, imagine that. <laughs> Our brains really can't imagine that. That's what I'm saying. If this is not blowing your mind, then you're just not getting it, and that's okay. It's okay if you're not getting it because it is mind-blowing. To really, really get it is to step into a new reality. It's almost to step into another dimension of what's possible, to step into another dimension of what existence really means and what existence really is because they wanted to see it. They wanted to see this thing, this thing that they could watch, see, measure, observe, basically disappear and reappear in an infinite number of positions. Everywhere. That's what the wave is. It's everywhere. It's potential, possibility. And so they set up a camera. They're like, we're going to watch this thing. And they set it up and they set up the double slit and they started shooting these, these electrons through, right? And here's what's wild. And this is, what's, this is what still blows my mind every time I think about it, every time I talk about it, every time I teach about it, every time I imagine what's possible because of it. When they shot the electrons through with the double slit with a recording device, the backstop showed a particle pattern develop. The moment the recording device, the moment the scientist, the moment they added an observer, the moment a watcher became a part of the experiment, the electron acted differently. The electron did not become a wave. The electron maintained its particle matter essence and went through the slits, the double slits, creating a pattern on the opposite end that would appear to be as though it maintained its particleness. There were two slits, there were two lines. It wasn't the interference wave pattern. It was the same pattern we would receive as if we were shooting marbles or tennis balls through. Right, brothers? I mean, that's the thing. Now, why is that? What happened there? What's, what's the implication here? The implication is that simply by 
the act of measuring. This is what the scientists are saying. And I'm going to say it a little bit differently, right? Because I'm going to say it from a consciousness perspective. They're saying it from a scientist perspective, right? They're saying it from a quantum physics perspective. They're saying that the act of measuring meant that the electron went through one slit. It maintained its particle. It remained a particle. They watched it stay as a particle the whole time because of the observer, because they were choosing to measure it. So they say that once the observer becomes a part of the experiment, we'll never really be able to know, we'll never really be able to understand or, or see or experience. Only, again, none of these words are really correct. Because we can see. We can see it mathematically. And we can experience. We can experience with our own energy. We experience, we experience the invisible all the time when we, when we remain still and within ourselves, right? So we can experience. But... But the observer effect itself, the state of consciousness, the grounding of consciousness, the fundamental of consciousness, once that is a part of the experiment, the reality, the construct, the construct itself, what is being observed is going to change. It's going to collapse. And this is the wave-particle duality, right? The wave, the endless potential and possibility of wave that we exist in, that we swim through, the sea of wave, the sea of light, the sea of possibility. Once it's observed by consciousness, it collapses. It collapses into a potential, it collapses into a particle of experience, a particle of, of what we consider to be either matter or event or person or sound, right? It collapses into something that we take in through our senses. And that's the scientific way of saying it, right? That's the scientific way of saying that, look, we, consciousness, is the foundation. And that's why quantum physics is changing the... the ideas around Darwinism, essentially, because no longer is consciousness a byproduct of a brain that's been evolving over hundreds of thousands of years, but rather the brain is the connective device that we tap into consciousness, which has always been here, which is the foundation. And we know this because of the flow of knowing. Consciousness can know matter, but matter cannot know consciousness. Because of that flow, we know that consciousness must have come before. The creator can know the created, but the created doesn't always know the creator. They can experience the creator. We can experience consciousness, but we don't know it because we come from it. We know our creations, but our creations may not know the totality of us. The children don't know the totality of the parents because there was a time that the parents existed when the children did not. But the parents always know the totality of the children because they've been there since the very beginning. I hope that makes sense, brothers. I hope you know what I'm saying there. I've used a lot of analogies to understand that. But basically, consciousness is the foundation because it's the foundation. It's required for the experience. It, comes, it is the medium through which we experience. But it's the free will that allows us to collapse the wave, the free will that allows us to choose, choose what it is that we want to experience, literally in a way that we are changing the construct. The construct is not, that's the old world, the old idea, the pre-quantum physics idea, and many, what's still being taught in many places from people that don't quite fully understand the implication of quantum physics, the old construct is that everything is in place, that these things are solid, that these things are made of solid material, that they're there, like a tree, a rock, a mountain. It's there. It's solid. It's made of solid things. 
I mean, <laughs> that it's dense, right? But the truth is, the quantum truth is that it's made of mostly empty space. When you get down to the smallest, smallest infinitesimal bits, it's made of mostly space. And then when you step just a half, a half step deeper, you find that that empty space is pure energy, a state of pure potential that is everywhere, that the nothingness becomes everything. The void becomes a whole, a W, <laughs> H-O-L-E, right? It becomes whole. That's what quantum physics is telling us, that, that it is all us. We are one. And in that oneness, we are popping it, making it, shaking it, creating it in and out of its potential all the time. That's a huge, huge, not just responsibility, be responsible, take responsibility for your thoughts and feelings, brothers, because these are the causes of creation. But also, what a beautiful gift. What a wonderful gift. What a wonderful gift to know that we are experiencing ourselves. We're experiencing our own thoughts. We're experiencing our own feelings. We're out there living through free will, either unintentionally, through the conditioning of what we think we don't have control in, that we think we don't have control, that this is just who we are, that we're, uh, that we're prisoners of our genetics. Or, or we can live with this consciousness, we can know that we are this creator, that what we see is not there because it's there without our observation, but it's there because of our observation. It's there because of our consciousness, that we are not separate from it, that we are not these bodies these bodies that are separate from what it is that we're experiencing, because that would create that solidness, that whole, that density, that matter. But that we are the observer itself, that we are the consciousness. We are only conscious through our bodies, that our bodies are the vessel, the channel. So that's the scientific perspective. <laughs> now, the perspective that I want to offer you guys is something a little bit different. I want to offer you guys something a little bit different than that, even though I want to offer that. Strongly, I want to offer that. I think you can tell by my passion. What I want to offer you is that the electron decided to act differently because it was aware it was being watched. Now, let me say that again. The electron, this little infinitesimal bit of information, this thing, this, this thing that holds, it holds a charge, right? It, hold, it has electricity. So it, it responds. It responds to the electromagnetic field, right? So it has electricity, and it's so tiny, but it has matter, so that means it contains information. It's this thing, and we know, scientists already know that our cells have consciousness, that, our, that the cells of our body have consciousness, and it's a part of what's happening now with how we're tying in quantum physics to cellular biology to know that our cells are actually a part of the reason why we have these thoughts, that the cells are in some way creating these thought patterns through the neural network, in order to release from our brain the chemicals that they desire, that they, these little cells, are actually using our body as a host for their own drug addiction. <laughs> it's wild. But anyway, the electron also has information. It's also information. And it also has charge. So it's responding. It's responding to the electromagnetic field. It's responding to the electromagnetic field that you are putting out, that you are putting out as an observer with your brain and heart, right? The brain is the electricity and the heart is the magnet. You're putting that out there. Once that observe, once you, once you put that observer in there, once you put that consciousness in there, whether it's a recording device or whether it's a human being recording through the cornea, right, and into the prefrontal cortex, into the, the visual cortex in the back of the head, whatever it is, what's happening, that electron is aware that it's being watched, 
It has its own consciousness. It's aware it's being watched and it decides to act differently. It decides to pop into a position, to pop into a position. It takes itself out of potentiality, out of possibility. And it decides to say, I'm going to be information. I'm going to be matter. I'm conscious of consciousness. I'm aware of awareness. I'm aware of my consciousness. I am the electron speaking. My consciousness is aware that a consciousness is observing me and therefore I'm going to be a particle. Versus my consciousness is aware that no consciousness is observing me. Therefore, I'm going to act like a wave. That it must be aware, that it must have a choice, that it must be aware of the consciousness itself. Do you guys understand that? That it can't just be acting randomly. It's not a random decision. This wasn't a random event. It wasn't a random event that the observer all of a sudden changed the particle. Because when they took the observer away, it acted like a wave again. It's not randomized. It's not wave, particle, wave, particle. It's not just randomly choosing. It's choosing based on whether it's being watched. How does it know it's being watched? Because it's conscious. Do you understand? It's conscious. It's aware. The same way we are aware. <laughs> maybe the same, maybe different, right? Because what are we aware of? What is awareness for us? Do we even know? Like, how do we define consciousness? But what I'm saying is it, it, it shares. It shares a consciousness with us. We are one with it. And the implication of that, my brothers, my friends, is that if an electron is conscious of us, then that means that everything is conscious of us. That means that the plants are conscious of us. That means the animals are conscious of us. That means the buildings are conscious of us. That means the cars are conscious of us. That means the rocks are conscious of us. We're talking about electrons here. We're not talking about cells. Cells we know. We know animals are, right? We know animals are conscious of us because we know cells have their own consciousness. But I'm talking about electrons, the basic building blocks of matter. That means that gases are conscious of us. Clouds are conscious of us. Everything is conscious if an electron is conscious. And that just means that everything is aware of us, which is to say that we are aware of ourselves. That consciousness is one. That to be aware that it is aware of us means that we are aware of ourselves. And look, if our consciousness creates and allows the consciousness of the electron to choose a position, to, to snap into position, then wouldn't the inverse be true as well? Wouldn't the electron being conscious of us allow us to snap into our position that we call a body? In other words, yeah, we're conscious that the tree is there. And by our consciousness, by our observer effect, the tree becomes there. The tree is there because of our collective consciousness, because we all see, we all agree. We all have made this impression that there's a tree there. But at the same time, the tree is agreeing that we are here. That the tree's consciousness is just as much snapping our bodies into position as our consciousness is snapping its position into position. And isn't that a beautiful thing to be grateful for? Isn't that just so, so beautiful to say that every single thing you see, every single thing you see, hear, taste, touch, smell, is all conscious of you. And because of its consciousness of you, you are partaking in existence with it. You are one with it. 
That's the way I see the double slit experiment. I see the double slit experiment as the electron having awareness of consciousness, having a consciousness of consciousness, which is itself, it's self-awareness. And brothers, full self-awareness is the same as enlightenment. And enlightenment is the same as seeing yourself in everything, knowing that everything is you and you are it. And that we live in a sea of light that is to be enlightened. We live in this sea of potential, this light, this enlightenment. And that is the famous double slit experiment explained. I hope that makes some sense to you, brothers. And if it doesn't, that's okay, because I'm going to be breaking into the YouTube waves very, very soon. And I'm going to put together an entire visual. <laughs> this will all be visual. This will all be drawn. This will all be shown and demonstrated so you guys will be able to see it. If it still doesn't make sense... However, when you get it, it'll snap you. You're like snapped out of your body and you'll never go back. You'll know, you'll feel, you'll experience, you'll understand. And I love you guys. I'll see you next week. Until then, elevate your alpha. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Alpha Male Coach Podcast. If you enjoy what you've heard and want even more, sign up for Unleash Your Alpha, your guide to shifting to the alpha mindset at thealphamalecoach.com slash unleash.